So we'll go ahead and get started here with our last session, session number eight. Pastor Matt wrote me a note talking about speaking the truth in love. There's, he wrote me a note uh, here at the top of my notes that says, don't blow it, the stakes are too high. So you can tell me if he's missing the truth or the love part on that one. <laughs> So our last session uh, today is uh, number eight. It starts on page 23. We're going to be talking about the head, the hearts, the hand, and the home. We are Baptists, and we love to alliterate our points. So we had to get that in there at some point. So our, our whole conference has been about showing genuine care to other people. Uh, we don't just want to care for people at a superficial level. We want to care for them at a level that is going to affect uh, their heart at the end of the day. That's what the genuineness of genuine care is all about. And the real way uh, that we show, in, in order to be able to show genuine care, uh, we have to help people be doers of the word. So that comes from James chapter 1. James chapter 1 uh, in verse... 22, James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So if we think back to uh, that root and fruit dynamic that we were discussing earlier, uh, somebody cannot help but do the good things of the word of God if their heart has been changed by the word of God. And so the way that we can ultimately tell if someone has encountered the power of the gospel in their own life is if we can see the fruit of the spirit present in their life at any given moment. And so James is calling us here not just to be people who come to a conference and who hear lots of good teaching about the Bible and then go out the front doors and forget about it by the time we get home, but he calls us as participants here today to be doers of the word and be those who take genuine care to other people in the church. And what he wants us to do there is to help those people not just hear your counsel to them from the word of God, but for them to take your counsel and to put it into practice in their own life. All theology is applicational. If there is a point of doctrine that you cannot take and put into practice some way in your life, then you have ultimately empty doctrine that has no power and is ultimately unbiblical. God's word is all about transforming your life and changing you into doing and saying and being the kind of godly person that God calls you to be in his son, Jesus Christ. God's word is designed to be lived out. We're not just listeners. Remember what the Great Commission says in Matthew uh, chapter 28. Go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So we are to go, we are to make disciples, and we are to teach people the Bible. But what are they supposed to do with the Bible? They're supposed to live it out in their daily walk 
with the Lord. And so what are some passages that uh, talk about that? I want to look at Matthew chapter 20 or Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 27. And I think this is one of the most honestly one of the most misunderstood and misapplied passages in the entire scripture. Jesus says he's speaking at the sermon on the mount. He has Uh, walked up on a mountain, and he has spoken for three whole chapters worth, and he is landing the plane at the end of his sermon, and this is how he ends the Sermon on the Mount. He says in verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And I guarantee that you probably know somebody who says, yes, we need to build our house on the word of God. And they triumphantly say that in the word. We're going to build our house on God's word. The Bible is our foundation. But is that what Jesus says in this passage? Look at what he says in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and what? Does them. You can listen to Jesus all day long. But if it does not produce in you transformation and obedience, you have not founded your life upon the word of God. Obedience is the key. If you want your life to be a house that can weather the storms of life, it's not just sitting and passively in taking the word, but it's taking it and going out and living it in your daily life. And so when we talk about love, know, speak, and do, we can't just end with speak. We have to give people something to do with the word of God in order to live it out and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So obedience to the word is the way that we're going to have that solid house that withstands the storms of life. We can't just put it up on a, uh, a nice little uh, picture frame in our house. We went to a, a Mexican restaurant yesterday that was amazing. It's called I Am Nacho Mama. And if you've not been there, you need to try it out. But they, they had this wonderful thing. It said, as for me and my house, we will serve tacos, uh, Psalm 24-7. And I was like, they're speaking my language. But if that is the, now these people were real believers. We got to talk to them. They're wonderful. But if, if having a nice Bible verse up on your wall is the extent to which your house is founded upon the word of God, then you are missing Jesus's words here at the end of his sermon. He says, you've got to take everything that I say and do something with it. Obedience is the key to having a, a life that will withstand the storms of this life. Look at Luke eleven twenty seven through 28. You don't just get to inherit blessing from the Lord based on who you are. Jesus says in Luke 11, 27 through 28, he said, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the words of God and what? Keep it. 
There is an entire other religion out there that says that there is a person out there who gets to be blessed by God just by virtue of the fact of who they are. And Jesus is saying, no, the person that's blessed is the person who hears my words and does them with his life. Because doing them is proof of transformation of a heart that is affected by the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Thessalonians uh, 2, 13. Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church whom he loves and he's encouraged by. And he says in verse 13, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. They didn't just hear Paul's word that he preached to them, but that word was at work transforming their hearts and changing them at a fundamental level, and they became imitators of Jesus Christ in his church. And then Romans 8, 28 and 29, a well-known passage that we've already talked about a couple of times today. But verse uh, 29 often gets left off of it as the goal of why God is working out all things for your good. It says in verse 28, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And that's a sweet comfort that we need to tell people that are believers. That is a promise to God's people. But what's the point of him working out all things for our good? Is it just so that we can be happy and comfortable and live a a wonderful life? It's no. In verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Our Christ-like actions, our Christ-like speech reflect the glory of God to a world that needs to see God. And so as we become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, the world gets to see that in us by the things that we say and the things that we do. Remember, they can only see our fruit. They can't see our heart. But that fruit that they see gets to point to a greater heart transformation that they can take part in if they only would repent and believe themselves. And so change into Christ-likeness is the goal. God is concerned about your holiness that will lead ultimately to your satisfaction at the end. So our genuine care plan is that we have to work with the whole person. And the whole person has to be placed in the proper God-designed context of the local church. God is interested in helping you become more like Jesus Christ, his son. And so this is where we're going to alliterate things. God wants you to be more like Jesus in your head, in your heart, in your hands, and in your home. Let's look at the head first. The head relates to your content, what you know to be true about God in the scriptures. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter says, verse 18, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So your growth in Jesus Christ, your growth in your knowledge of him, in his word, in who he is, in the way that he's working in this world, is what transforms you for the purpose of his glory. And so God wants you to be doers of the word as you learn his word. Paul, or God is also concerned with our heart. And you'll see that Romans 15, 14 is listed there three times uh, because it's so crucial. Take a look at that passage with me. Romans 15, verse 14, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. This is not Paul saying just the pastors can teach you about God or just the deacons or just your Sunday school leader or just your community group leader, just the elite Christians. No, he's saying every single one of you in the Roman church and in this church today are filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. God is saying that you have the sufficient resources here in the Bible in order to know everything that you need to know about God. Every single thing that you need to know about God and how to live a godly life in light of that is contained here in the Word of God. And so as we learn that in our heads, as we filter that through our ears, as we sit under good preaching, as we are instructed by one another, our hearts are transformed by the Word and the Holy Spirit applying that Word to our heart. And then inevitably that is going to flow out into our hands. Look at 1 John 3, 16 through 19. If you learn about Jesus and who he is, and you understand what he has done for you through his cross, you cannot help but do something about it. In verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we what ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love, or let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love is expressed in our deeds, the things that we do, the fruit that we bear towards others, and in our truth, in our doctrine of what we understand and know about God. You cannot separate the two. But John is saying here that the truth that you understand and know about God is void if it does not lead into action and care for those who are in the church who are suffering and in need. And so genuine care is all about doing. And finally, the context in which God gives us these commands is within the local church. God says that we are to care for the local church first and foremost. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, and we'll also look at verses 9 and 10. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Brothers, so brothers, when, when Paul or any of the New Testament authors is saying brothers and sisters, he's saying you who are in Christ Jesus, you who are part of the family of God. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself too, or keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law 
of Christ. When you bear one another's burdens, you are doing what God has commanded you to do. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And then look down at verse 9. Um, Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So our head, as we learn about the Bible, as we understand doctrine and who God is, that's going to transform our hearts. That's what Paul means when he says that we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. He says to put off the old self, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and then to put on the new self. So as you learn about God, your heart will grow in its affection and desire for your Savior, and that will inevitably lead into doing good for your brothers and sisters who have been bought by the blood of Christ. And all of that takes place within the church community. How, then, should we help people do the word of God? I want to give you uh, six categories. These are not in your notes, so uh, you'll have to write them down. Uh, One of my uh, mentors in counseling provided me these six categories as uh, basically every time that you work with someone, uh, they need to be think you and you need to give them something to do with what you've spoken to them. It needs to be in one of these six categories. Uh, the first category that's most important is scripture. As you have loved on someone, as you have gotten to know them, as you have spoken the truth of the word to them, they need to go and do something about it. Because if they don't, their house is going to fall because it's founded on the sand. And the first thing that you can have them do, you can give them, we call it homework, you can call it a change in growth plan, you can call it whatever you want, but they got to go do something. The first thing they should be doing is reading the scripture. So it's your job as someone who is counseling them and guiding them in the word to know the scripture that they need to be reading and pouring their life in or and pouring into their life. And so that puts the responsibility on you as a Christian to know the word of God well, to know passages that can point people to the hope that they can have no matter what their situation is in. And so you need to give them scripture to read. Second thing, you need to encourage them to memorize the Bible. If you spend, listen, memorizing is hard. Maybe you're like me, memorizing the Bible is a challenge and it takes forever. And that's kind of the point. Memorizing the Bible, you got to pull out the flashcards, you got to put it as the lock screen on your phone, you got to be looking at it all the time so that you can memorize it to be able to recite it off the top of your head. But what's happening when you're working on that verse? You are constantly reading the Word of God and feeding your soul with God's Word. And that is giving opportunity after opportunity for the Holy Spirit to convict you and to transform you at the heart level. And so say you help someone to understand uh, that they are speaking harshly to their wife. Uh, They are being maybe verbally abusive to their spouse. And you come to them and you give them Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 about speaking the truth in love. Or you give them uh, 429 that says that you should not let any corrupting talk come out of your mouth. You can say, hey, 
I know that we talked about this today, and I would love to follow up with you again maybe a week from now. I think it'd be really good if you worked on memorizing that verse, and the Lord can bring it to mind as you face those temptations. And what you'll see is as they meditate on that verse, as they nurture it in their soul, that it will begin to blossom and flourish in their life if they are truly a believer. The third thing to do is to have them pray, to pray fervently and regularly. 95% of, uh, uh, of formal counseling cases that I've been involved with, uh, the, the real cause is that the person just doesn't know how to partake in the means of grace. Their spiritual disciplines are completely lacking. And so it might sound very elementary to ask someone to read the Bible and to memorize the Bible and to pray regularly. But what you'll find is that when we are normally doing those things and we are normally nourishing our souls and having our hearts transformed by the Spirit through those things, you find yourself in less situations where you need formal counseling. Because what you're doing is doing the Word of God. You're building your life on His Word. So for someone that's not doing that regularly and they're finding that their house is crumbling on the sandy foundation, uh, you got to take them back to the basics. So ask them to pray regularly. Ask them, hey, what's your prayer life been looked like? When was the last time that you sat and spent some time with the Lord in prayer over this issue that you're facing? Another great category for something for them to do is ask them to read a book with you. Give them good theological reading uh, that they can uh, maybe read a chapter every other week with them. Uh, maybe you say, we're going to meet like once a month for the next few months, and we'll uh, talk about three chapters at a time. Or uh, maybe you say, hey, I'm going to text you every day and see if you've read uh, five pages in this book. You, got, you can make time for reading five pages a day in this book. But find books that are helpful and good. If you don't know good recommendations on books, ask your pastor. They've got libraries full of books that they would love to recommend and, and give out. Ask them about their church involvement. A lot of times when you uh, find people whose lives are in trouble, uh, they start to uh, uh, find themselves in the corners of the church. They're, they're less involved. They have stepped down from a serving role, or they are not coming to services as frequently. Ask them about that. Find out about those patterns of why they seem to be wanting to avoid fellowship and Christian involvement. Are they checking out during the sermons? Uh, one thing that I do with, uh, with counselees that I have, uh, I want to find out, hey, what is your church life like? I ask them to go, and uh, before they come back to me at our next session, I have them uh, actually take notes on the sermon and bring those in and tell me uh, five things that they got out of that sermon that they never knew before. Uh, and that will help me to understand their level of, are they really engaged with sitting under the authority of the Word of God? And last is serving. Tell them to go serve somebody. I always ask people uh, to go serve uh, their spouse or their kids or another church member or somebody at their work in a way that is proactive, noticeable, um, unexpected, and helpful. Proactive, so they've got to take the initiative on it. So if you're a teenager and your mom says, hey, can you help me mow the yard? That doesn't count. <laughs> Uh, you got to go mow the yard yourself first to serve your family. So proactive, noticeable. There's a lot of times that people are like, yeah, I served him. And you go ask the other person, like, well, hey, did you really feel served by that? And they're like, I didn't even know they did anything. Um, proactive, noticeable, helpful. Um, 
So they, they need to know, like you need to know that this is going to actually serve them. Sometimes we serve people the way that we want to be served and not the way that they need to be served. Uh, so they need to take stock of the other person's situation. And then finally is um, unexpected. If the person's expecting you to serve them because they're an authority over you or because they've asked you to do something, that's not really serving them. So I, those are the categories that I ask people to go serve somebody in and tell me what it looked like. How did it change your thinking about that person? If you're thinking in all of those categories while you're trying to think of a way to serve the person, uh, you're going to be spending time on that. It's going to be transforming your thought pattern about that person. And usually if the person's in conflict with somebody else, someone comes to you and they're like, hey, I'm in a fight with my wife. I'm like, well, you need to go serve your wife. That's the way to love them again. So I use those categories. Those were given to me by a really helpful uh, counselor named Randy Patton. Uh, but they are really powerful in giving people something to do. So as you love them, as you know them, as you speak the truth to them, you've got to give them something to do with the truth that you have spoken into their life. So that's what it means to have head, hearts, and hands in our home be transformed in the way that we do things. I want to kind of pivot for our last section of uh, our time here, and I want to look at uh, number um, two there, how we work together to care for the congregation, the, the genuine care pyramid. So flip over to Appendix 5 in your book. It's on page 62. I want to explain to you what this model is about. This is where we're going to get into some of the, the nitty-gritties of what does doing genuine care look like in the church. Uh, this is for uh, informal ministries. Maybe your church has a formal counseling ministry or center, or maybe your church has a pastor of counseling. Uh, maybe your church doesn't have any of those things. Um, what, what does genuine care look like in all of those scenarios? It's applicable to each one. And the first way that we see this is through what we call the pyramid of care. Uh, so it's, uh, it's sideways, but you'll see that there's, there's five levels there. At the top, um, you've got probably pastors who have some, uh, a lot of experience. Maybe they've been doing this a long time. Maybe they've got some very specialized training from a seminary or a parachurch ministry. They're at the top, and the, the level of training uh, goes down as you get down to the bottom where you hit the level of the congregation. And at the bottom there, you see that the congregation is responsible for one another care and discipleship. So what we've been talking about this whole weekend is there at that ground level. And why is that so important? Well, one of the ways that you can actually care for your pastor and your leaders is to help other church members nip sin in the bud before it grows. If a church member comes to you and says, like, hey, I had a really hard week at work, and uh, I took a few too many drinks, and I got a little drunk this weekend, and I'm struggling, I, I think I want to do it again. You as a church member that's, that they're confiding that in, at that moment, you can say, let's talk about it. Let's get together. I want to care for you. I want to help you. I want to read scriptures with you. Before that sin, as James 1 says, this is such a, a, a powerful picture that James writes. James says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is, has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so if we can nip it in the bud when it's still maybe in that conception stage before it fully grows to the point of death, that's a way for you to care for your pastor. Because if you can have a 30-minute conversation with someone before things get really bad, you're going to be saving your pastor hours and hours and hours of intensive counseling when that person spirals out of control. So you care for other members, and, and that cares for other members of the church as well, who will start to be affected by this person's sin that is infiltrating the church. And so you as a church member can really start to care at that ground level for one another and see the Lord push sin out of your congregation and the destructive forces of sin uh, be eradicated within your body of believers. And so the pyramid of care is such a wonderful way to understand that uh, you are the front door to uh, sin entering into the church. When you see that, you are able to speak into those situations and to keep the church protected. Another way that you can figure out, um, you're thinking, okay, all right, I, could, I can maybe handle some of those situations, but what about the really hard stuff? What about the Frank and Evelyns that walk in the door? Um, what do I do with that? Well, we've given you a tool here in Appendix 6. Uh, we call it an SOS, uh, Severity, Ownership, and Support is what that stands for. And this is a grid that we uh, designed at our church that we uh, train our lay leaders in and our pastors in uh, that we find really helpful, which is when someone, now you don't pull this out and do this with them right in front of their face. You don't even tell them that you're doing this in the back of your mind. Uh, that would not be helpful. <laughs> Uh, but what you do is you assess uh, the severity of the situation. How uh, deep in are they? So that first column there, is it a wisdom issue? Are they just a little stressed? Is it everyday problems? And that escalates over to uh, number 10. Are they in a crisis? Uh, is this a sin? Does this sin have a stronghold in their heart? Are they facing significant suffering? The second row there of ownership. Is the person repentant? Are they open to uh, receiving correction? Are they uh, highly teachable in these moments? But if that gets worse and worse, if they stop taking ownership, do they move into blame shifting? Do they become defensive? Do they, uh, are they in denial about the situation? Support, who, who can surround this person with care quickly? Are they close to their family? Are they intimate and accountable with other people in the church? Are they open in uh, small groups and in fellowship to opening up about sin that they need help with uh, versus the other end of the spectrum where they don't have anybody and they don't want to talk to anybody? And as you kind of uh, score these things in your mind, we've, we've created a rubric there at the bottom that corresponds to the pyramid of care. So if it's 3 to 15 or so, uh, care for that person in the, in the group. Uh, maybe ask somebody else, but keep that at the, at the lower level. But if it's going up and up and up in score, you can see that it's good at that moment to involve pastors or other uh, maybe formal counseling or something like that within your church. Look at the bottom there. It's a guideline. 
It takes discernment and practice. Wouldn't it be really nice if we could just quantify everything perfectly in everybody's life? I'm an Excel guy. I do numbers all day long. I run our church's database back in Jacksonville. And it would be really nice to just put a number on every sin. Because I can do math all day long. But that's not life. Uh, and so this is just a guideline for, to help you think through what's going on. Again, don't tell people that you're doing an SOS on them. That's just weird. Uh, <laughs> And it doesn't have to be an exact number, of course. If you're like, is this a six or a seven? Like, it doesn't just, this is to help you kind of think through those categories. Um, I want to also look at um, appendix number two, which is on page 52. So maybe you've heard all this today and you're like, man, counseling is intense. Counseling is really important. And uh, maybe our church needs to think about a formal counseling ministry or Uh, Maybe our church has one, but we're not really sure what's going on. Uh, What we've done here is we've just provided you our church's condensed policy and procedures manual on counseling. Um, Our church has a counseling center. We have about 40 or 50 folks that do regular counseling, and we have usually about 100 active cases. Um, So we're doing this. We do it as a ministry. Uh, We open our doors to people in our community to come in and receive counsel. Uh, But as we've talked about, the only way that someone is going to receive real change is if their heart changes first. And so if they come in and they're not a believer, we are sharing the gospel with them uh, by showing them how Jesus and his death and resurrection applies to the problem that they are facing. So if your church is interested in this or maybe this would be helpful to your pastor back at your home church, I encourage you just to take it to him. You guys can copy this verbatim if you want. You might need to change the word Jacksonville in there, uh, but that is open for you to have. That's just a resource we wanted to give you. Uh, and one other resource I wanted to give you, we wanted to give you as a church, is on page 25. Uh, we call this the playbook. Uh, it says biblical solutions to common life issues. Uh, and this is about 24 pages. Uh, you can see there the, uh, the table of contents. These are very common issues that spring up within the church in today's world. So you see marriage pressures, pornography, sexual sin, relational conflict, uh, suffering, parenting, depression, anger, fear, anxiety, all of those things. Uh, you probably know somebody in each of those categories. And Uh, What we've done is just provided you uh, on each of those inner pages uh, a breakdown of ways to help these folks. So we've listed some books uh, to help them, ways to, uh, questions to ask to explore what's going on in their heart, uh, ways to uh, direct their thinking. So that's the speak part, is as you hear what's happening, as you know what's going on, uh, how do you get them pointed back to the gospel? How do you get them to do something by encouraging them with action? Uh, Principles to keep in mind, uh, a section there on policies that lines up with our policies and procedures. But these are just, this is just a book for you to keep and to have. I encourage you to uh, keep it in your bookshelf at home. And as you encounter people in your church that are facing these issues and you have the opportunity and ability to speak into them. This is just a a wonderful tool and resource for you to be able to uh, help those people in whatever uh, situation uh, they are in. So that is just a resource we wanted to provide you, and that really wraps up our time uh, together today. 
we're really, really thankful to have gotten to be here and to speak with you guys about uh, genuine care in your church. Uh, we uh, love you guys here in New York. You guys are doing incredible gospel ministry in a very, very dark city. Uh, and we are so encouraged. Uh, we've spent the week with Pastor Caleb and his church here uh, just hearing about all of the wonderful things that God is doing. And it has been a joy and a delight to be with you guys uh, this week and especially over the last two days. Um, if you've got any questions about any of the material that we've talked about or maybe you want to uh, think about going further in uh, counseling training, our church provides counseling training uh, and we would love to walk with you through that. It's all online, and we would be uh, delighted to walk with you through that process as well. So I'll be around. Pastor Matt will be around. Come talk to us. We're, we want to meet you. We're excited to get to know you and to hear your story. So let me pray for us as we wrap up here, and uh, then we'll head out. Father, I want to thank you for the people that have committed a Friday night and an all day of their Saturday uh, to come and to sit under the teaching of your word. Lord, that they would spend so many hours having the Bible be poured into their souls so that they can go out and care for your people. Lord, we pray that this conference has been eminently practical. Lord, that it has not been simply a transfer of information from one person to another, but that it is doctrine and application that can be taken out into the streets, can be taken into our churches, so that your people can be built up in love for one another, can be putting off sin and putting on righteousness. And Father, that your church would be drawn together in unity as we seek to live holy and blameless lives before you. We thank you for the church that you have given us, both the local church and in our individual bodies here at Gateway and of the other churches represented here and in Jacksonville. We thank you for the church universal that we are able to come all the way from Florida and have immediate fellowship with people thousands of miles away. Lord, I pray that the people in this room would be excited to be able to step into the messiness of ministry because they will be able to see testimonies of how you are going to faithfully work through your word, through your spirit, and through your church to build us up into the image of your son. And we pray all of these things now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.